You know, as I think about our study today, there's a conversion that takes place when we come to faith in Christ. The conversion is you were not on God's team. You were on the world's team, on Satan's team. The Bible describes us in the book of Romans as having been dead, lifeless. But when we came to faith in Jesus, he breathed new life into us. And through that conversion experience of breathing new life, Now there's a whole brand new you and me who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus. We have been converted and now we are on God's team. We are in God's family. We're a part of the fellowship because of our faith. And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is being led by the Holy Spirit to write to the Roman church and even to us today about this conversion experience from death to life. Now, here's what happens to us as we become Christ followers, as we become fully devoted Christ followers. We are dead, then we become alive, only to die again to enjoy life. Did you follow that? We were dead. I've been to many funerals in several decades of of being a pastor, and I've seen many corpses with, with, with just lifeless bodies. There's no movement whatsoever. They're dead. That's how we were. We were lifeless. We were dead. We were in trespasses and sin and damned and doomed to an eternal condemnation because of our sin. But when we placed our faith and trust in Christ, we were then made new. We were brought to life. Only in that life to present ourselves now as living sacrifices so that through dying, we then might live. It's a funny thing, isn't it? To be dead, then to be alive, to present yourself as a living sacrifice in order to die so that you might live. It's a paradox that often we find troubling in the Christian life. And it's a process that I think many fail to recognize and realize in their journey and their pilgrimage of following Jesus. So I want us to take a look at this concept called boundless, living for Christ above all else. That's what the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to do in the phrase that we're going to look at today in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12. To live for Christ above all else. In order to live for him, I must die. For only in dying can I live for him. What does that mean? So take a look at your outline and let's sort of fill in the blank, so to speak. You don't do that anymore, but let's sort of look at the passage. How do I lift Christ above all else in my life so that I might live? How do I do that? How do I lift Christ above all else to live this unlimited Endless, wonderful, unbound, unrestrained life that Jesus calls the abundant life and the Apostle Paul calls our life in Christ in the book of Romans. How do we live this kind of life? How do we live for Christ above all else so that we might live? First of all, I need to reach a decision. I need to reach a decision. Now, there are many decisions that you have made in your life that you have not followed through on, right? How many of you have made the decision beginning of the year to lose some weight? Come on, you're going to lose some weight. You've already given up on the idea, haven't you? I did Friday night. I need to lose a couple of pounds, to be honest with you. I've put a little bit on, so 
Uh, you know, you, you gain and you lose, you gain and you lose, it's, it's an endless battle. And as you get older, it seems the harder it is to lose. And, uh, you know, I, I used to think old people, only only thing they have to talk about is food. You noticed? The main, main thing they talk about is where'd you eat, what, you know, and it's a lot of food. And, and as I've grown older, I, I know why, because that's one of the few pleasures you have left in life. Just kidding, but... but uh, <laughs> Uh, fr- Patty and I went out Friday night and went to a, an Italian place and for the first time all week, you know, I'm eating, uh, our, our goal, our motto in January was to eat uh, uh, weeds and seeds. That was what we we're going to eat. It's the only way to lose weight, weeds and seeds. But anyway, and so we went to an Italian restaurant and man, they served that bread and they served that, uh, that olive oil with, with some of those goodies on there and man, I lapped that up like a starving dog. And I had, I had pasta. I haven't had pasta since I can't remember when. And Patty said, I've never seen you enjoy a meal so much as that one in a long time. I mean, when I first looked at it, I said, there's no way in the world I'm going to eat that. But by the time I was through, it was gone. I wanted to lick the plate if I wasn't on a, on a, on a date. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to impress my wife still after uh, 38 years of marriage. But anyway, and then Saturday morning, I go to the men's breakfast. And if you're not going to the men's breakfast, you need to go. Gentlemen, that's a time your wife can't tell you you can't eat that. Okay, and I guarantee you what they serve is not on your diet. That's why we don't invite the good doctor to come on Sunday, Saturday morning, because uh, although I've seen him eat a donut a time or two in my years of knowing him, and he says a little bit won't hurt you. That's what my grandmother said, and she's with the Lord. But anyway, and so uh, I ate biscuits and gravy and bacon and eggs, and so that's two meals this weekend, and now I'm back on the wagon until next month for the men's breakfast. Right, Mike? That's it. So we've made decisions before, haven't we? But we've never followed through on those decisions. I'm not talking about reaching a decision here, and neither is the Apostle Paul in this text, to reach a decision that you never follow up on. It is a decision that leads to action. It leads to implementation. He says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to to present yourself. That, that word present is a verb. And I don't know if you know what verbs mean, but verbs mean action. It means that you actually do something. But before you do it, you, you assess the situation, you come to a conclusion, and then you implement a particular action. And he's saying to us, we need to consider what I am saying here through the Spirit. We need to then come to a conclusion based upon what God is saying through my penmanship. And based upon that, we then need to act upon that which we need to present. It's, a, it's an action that we do. We, we actually present it. We give it. We yield it. We surrender it. We present it to God. We make ourselves available and accessible to him. Lord, here I am. It is an action that we do. We just don't think about it. And in a service, we're moved intellectually and emotionally, and, and we make a commitment, and we walk out the door only to forget moments later about the decision that we've made. That's not what we're talking about. The Apostle Paul is saying that we must reach a decision to present ourselves, to make ourselves accessible, and to yield ourselves to him. He says something similar in Romans 6, 13. He says that we are to present ourselves, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. That word presents means once and for all. It means you make a decision once and for all 
And once you make that decision, you implement that decision through a series of actions that result in the decision that you have made to present yourselves to God. Have you made that decision? And if you've made that decision, have you acted upon that decision? We asked many of you last Sunday to make the decision to just sign a blank piece of paper and give it to God and say, fill in the blank. I had somebody Wednesday said, my wife is filling my blanks for me. I said, yeah, every time something happens, she said, have you put that on your list yet? And you know who you are. But anyway, have you acted upon that decision? I'm convinced in the church today there are more decisions than there are more actions. If we did what we decided to do, if we acted upon those decisions, I think our lives would be more abundant, our lives would be more meaningful, our commitment to Christ would be fuller and richer than it is today. For most of us in this room have sat through countless of services like this, and we have made countless decisions to do something, to act in a certain way, only to forget it soon after. That's not what he's asking from us, to reach a decision, to act upon that, and to present ourselves, to make ourselves accessible and available. And number two, we need to then redeem ownership, to redeem, to, to exchange ownership now from, from ourselves to God. It, there's an exchange that happens when we come to faith in Christ. We're no longer our own. We, we now belong to him, and there's an exchange of ownership. And there are times in our lives we need to just sit down, contemplate, and reflect upon our commitment to God and relinquish any claim we may possibly have to our own lives because you are not your own. He says to present your bodies. That word your is a personal pronoun. It is written in the second person, meaning that it is descriptive of those who he is writing to, those who are in the family because they're of the faith, and they call God their father. They are disciples, followers of Jesus. Those of you who are disciples, who claim to be Christians, are to present your. He says your. That word your there is a possessive genitive, meaning that it is yours. Present your body. Focus on the your. It is a possession that you have. Now, is your body as a Christian yours? In one sense, it is. How is it yours? You control how it's being used. You can look where you want to look. You can think what you want to think. You can see where you want to see. You can use your mouth to say whatever you want. You control the members of your body. But as a believer, those members are not yours. They belong to Jesus. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. Your mouth doesn't belong to you. Your eyes are not yours to see whatever you want to see. Your mouth is not yours to say whatever you want to say. Your hands are not yours to do whatever you want to do with. You see, your body, and we're going to look at it in a minute, is, is is the mortal part of us, it's the unredeemed part of us. It's only going to be redeemed at the resurrection. And until then, we struggle with these bodies that we're in, don't we? And these bodies uh, possess what we call our humanness, our humanity. And our humanity then incorporates our flesh, and our flesh incorporates sin. 
And so these members, if we're not careful, can be used as instruments for unrighteousness for sin. And the reason why we we give them to him and we say, Lord, control my mouth. Lord, control my eyes. Lord, control my thoughts. Lord, control my actions. Lord, control my feelings. We give them to him and we give him control. Why? Because they are his. Now, in essence, we can use our members, the members of our bodies, for unrighteousness. But yet, because we no longer our own, but we belong to him, then these bodies are no longer ours. For you are not your own. You are not your own if you're a Christian. You belong to Jesus. And you cannot do whatever you want to with your body. You cannot. Your body belongs to the Lord. Your thoughts belong to the Lord, your, your heart, your emotions belong to the Lord, your will belongs to the Lord. You belong to the Lord and you are to then give him, to redeem him, to give him back ownership of every aspect and every part of your life, to present yourself to him totally, unreservedly, without question, without limits. Lord, all I have and all I am, every part of me is yours. You own me, now I yield control to you, to redeem ownership. Number three, we need to reflect his glory. After we have reached a decision to act, and after we have redeemed ownership, we've given control over to him, what belongs to him, we then must reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, present your bodies. Your bodies. As I said earlier, they're the unredeemed part of you, that one of these days you're going to receive a glorified body. Amen? One of these days, you're going to receive a glorified body. Amen? You're not happy with your body today? One of these days, you will be (laughs) because you will reflect the likeness of Jesus, and you'll be perfect. And I'm convinced I'll have a six-pack then right here. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter, man. I've not seen, I mean, he's a buff dude, you know. So I'm hoping that when he died because he was buff, I'm too going to look pretty buff. But more than just physical In character and in nature, we're going to be like him because these mortal bodies will die someday. You will place them in a grave. And when the trumpet of God blows, the dead in Christ will rise. These bodies will then leave the grave and they will be miraculously transformed, united with our soul. And we will be forever with the Lord and we will be transformed into his likeness physically. Redeemed bodies. But until then, they're unredeemed. And there's a battle going on within us, isn't there? For the mind, for the will, between the flesh and the spirit. And so he says to us, present your bodies as unto the Lord. But notice what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says. The Apostle Paul, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Or do you not know, wake up, church, that your body is what? Is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Back when this was written, they recognized and realized that the temple was a sacred place because inside of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, and inside of the Holy of Holies was the presence, the Shekinah glory of God. And when Christ died, the veil was rent in two, and the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, left the tabernacle. It left the temple. It was no longer there. Where did he go? He came to reside within us. Your bodies now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
Your body is the temple of the Spirit of Christ because now he dwells where? Within you. Within you. And as you walk around, you need to understand and realize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We had a man who recently decided he was mad at God or mad at us. I'm not quite sure who it was. And he took a, an axe and he uh, decided to do some damage on the church. I don't know if you saw it or not, but he whacked a couple of whacks at the sign. And then he was still angry and he threw it at the window, but it didn't bust the window through. And that wasn't sufficient enough. He decided to get the axe and he got up close to one of our doors here. That's why one of the doors doesn't have the the, uh, the uh, logo on there. Uh, we can't do it until it warms up, so it'll be a while before it gets up. Uh, and he threw it through there, and the alarm went off, and he decided he didn't need his axe after that, and he, he ran for cover. I'm sure that it was the worship arts ministry that made him mad, not the pastor. <clears throat> didn't like one of the songs you sang, Mark. I'm not sure, but anyway, he, he decided he would do some damage to the building. Now, would you, would you do that kind of damage to this building? You probably not me. Why? This is a sacred place. It is a it is a place where 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 God God's people get together, and, and you would never desecrate, you would never defile this physical building, and yet we would defile and desecrate our bodies that inhabit the presence of the Holy Spirit. We abuse them and defile them. Your body is not your own. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Why do I engage in premarital sex? Because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why don't I get drunk with wine or, or other beverages? Because my temple is the body of the Holy Spirit. Why, don't I engage, why do I not engage in pornography? Because my temple, my eyes are the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why don't I listen to gossip? Because my temple is the Holy Spirit. Why do I not speak ugly, nasty things from my mouth? Because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And yet we desecrate our body. Why do I eat healthy? Why, do I, why am I trying to eat seeds and weeds? They don't taste good. I'm trying to make this temple a little smaller than what it needs to be. I used to laugh and say it's an investment into the future. <laughs> but uh, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God who lives and resides in you, his presence is in you, and you have this presence from God. It is a gift. And so now as the temple of the Holy Spirit, you are to glorify God in your body, to bring honor and glory and praise and adoration to him with your body. It's not just with your character and just with your conduct, but with your body as well. And we must recognize and realize that if we are to become the instruments and the vessels that God wants to use, we must reflect his glory. How do I live Christ above all else in my life? By reflecting his glory in and through my life, through my body. Number four, I need to then realign my values to his. I need to realign my values to his. Notice what the Bible says and he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. We've already addressed this yes, last Sunday. seemed like yesterday to me, but it was last Sunday when we talked about the fact that when we present, uh, if, if we were to exist in the day of Jesus or in the day of the Apostle Paul, when there was still the temple and, and temple sacrifices, you would bring a, 
a, an offering, a sin offering to the priest, and it would be alive, and you would present it alive. And once that presentation was made and it was offered to the priest, he would then slaughter it, it would then die, and the spilt blood would become then a remission of your sin, the cleansing of your sin, because that then, that sacrificial object would then take upon itself your sin against God and die in your place. But he says here that we're to be a living sacrifice. That word living means to be alive. It means to be or to have life. And what he is saying to us as disciples is basically this, that we are to present ourselves alive. What does that mean, to be alive? Well, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 17. It's not on your screen, I don't think, but uh, just turn your Bibles there, and, and I want to point that out. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if, the Apostle Paul says under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because of one man's trespass, one man's disobedience, one man's sin, death reigned through that one man. The reason why we physically die, our bodies die, why we inhabit mortal bodies, is because of the disobedience of one man, and his name was Adam. Now notice, for if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, now death reigns, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness now reign in life through the one man, Jesus. One man's sin, disobedience, brought death, but one man's obedience now brings life. One man's obedience brings life now through faith in Jesus. When we accept him as our personal savior and commit to his leadership and lordship in our lives, the two are synonymous. It's not two different decisions, it's one. And when he becomes lord and savior of our lives, we then are born anew and his life now is transferred to us. Now through his obedience, we now with him through faith are now alive. And notice it says that we reign in life. We reign. Did you know that you were a king? Did you know that you were now in Christ able to reign over death? This is that aspect, and I believe a part, talking about the reigning that we're going to have when Christ returns and he sets up his, his uh, millennial reign. Don't worry, Mike, I don't have a class this night, tonight, so people won't come to my end times class. But if you had been in my end times class, <laughs> he's going to return. And he's going to set up a kingdom. And we will reign with him. But not only then, after a thousand years, we will ascend to the heavens and we will continue to reign with him. We reign. It, it talks about the eternal concept, the eternal reality of, of reigning after death, eternal life. But I think it's talking also here about reigning in this life. Because we are now more than conquerors to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That in Christ now we reign over sin. We can reign over self. Sin no longer has dominion over us. And we can reign over sin. Sin now is, 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 is a choice that we can make. And we can say no. And we can submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. And so as a result of that, we can reign with Christ. We rule with him. But John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it, what? More abundantly. Jesus not only came to give us life, eternal life, but abundant life. And now, through faith in Christ, we not only live, but we have an abundant life. Now, where am I going with this? 
Here's where I'm going with it. Before we were converted and became a part of God's team, we had a whole different set of values, didn't we? Didn't we? We believed that in order to really live, I needed to be so self-centered and so egotistical that I needed to provide everything for my own happiness. And anything that didn't make me happy was thrown out. I had a whole different value system. And I believed that health, wealth, and prosperity, you follow me? Here's, here's the modern church. I believed before I came to faith in Christ that health, wealth, and prosperity would bring me happiness. It's a modern-day church. It's a pagan church. Health, wealth, and prosperity does not bring you happiness. Happiness is about happenstance. And now through faith in Christ, I have a different value system. I value different things now than what I valued before. I value the abundant life that Christ came to give, and that abundant life that he came to give is found in Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You want to live? You have to die. Now, let me ask you how many of you heard that on a gospel, supposedly a gospel preaching television evangelist lately. You want to live? You want to enjoy the abundant life? You got to die. They're not telling you that, are they? They're not telling you to die. This is how to live health, wealth, and prosperity. But, but here, Jesus says that the way to live is to die. And only by dying do we then live. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Real life is found in Jesus. And so our value system changes because in following Christ, we know that it leads to life. But in order to follow Jesus, you must die. Here you go. You were dead, then you became alive. Now you die again in order to live. That's what he's saying. It's, it's a paradox, I understand, and it sometimes is confusing. But if you really want to live, you've got to die. And our value, what we prize, what we treasure, what we prioritize now is a life of death. Because we know that in dying, we will live. So let's go to the fifth point. I want to, this will help us sort of solidify what we're talking about. In order for us to live for Christ above all else, I must not only die, but I must render the cost. For in dying, there is a cost. There's a cost. There was a cost so that you might live. And that cost was through Jesus Christ who gave his only life so that through faith in him, we might live. He died so that we could live. He paid the price on Calvary's cross and took upon himself your sin and my sin against God so that in that price we now can live. Now, the only difference is once we come to faith in Christ, we don't have to do penance for our sin. Jesus already did that. But there is a price, there's a cost, there's a sacrifice in following Christ. For he says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, there's a word you won't hear in the modern church today. The word sacrifice. You won't hear it because it's not very popular. Because when people hear the word sacrifice, they know that there's going to be pain. They know there's going to be a price. 
And quite frankly, if I, if I, if I measure the get from the have to give into, I'm not sure that, that what I give in order to get is measured uh, quite the same. And the lie of the enemy is says what we have to sacrifice to surrender to God isn't worth what we get in, re- in exchange or return. And that in, in and of itself is a selfish, fleshly, if not satanic lie. The word sacrifice is an interesting word. It means to transfer possession. It means to give something of value so that in order to giving that which you have deemed valuable, you then get something more valuable. And if you value it, it's going to be costly. It's going to have a price. It's going to be painful to, to extract that from your life and to render it no longer effective and to give it. It's, it's going to be painful. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To take up your cross, I don't know about you, but does a cross seem anything but painful and and pricey to you? There's nothing pleasurable about a cross. When Christ carried the cross to Golgotha on those narrow streets of Jerusalem, there was an incredible price that was paid, and it was painful for him to be able to do that. And when he sacrificed his life on that altar of Calvary for you, there was a pain and there was a price. And he calls us as disciples to follow in his likeness, to follow in his footsteps. And he's saying to us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's, that's costly. That's painful. That, there's a price in that. And to follow me, he says, for whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake, what do you find? You have life. You save it. 2 Samuel 24, 24. It's an interesting passage about King David who had committed a sin and um, just a long story short, God told him not to number his troops, but he decided he would do that anyway. Uh, he didn't put his trust in God. He put his, tr- tr- his trust and, and his hopes and his expectations in his own force, in his own strength. And so he had all his warriors numbered, and as a result of that, he found God's displeasure and through God's displeasure, the prophet came to him and said, you've sinned. And he said, well, what do I do to reconcile this, this sin? He said, well, make an offering to God. And so he went to a place, and he was looking for a place to offer this altar, to build this altar, altar and to make a sacrifice. And there was a certain king there named Aruna, Aruna who says no. He wanted to buy it. He said no. But I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. He was wanting, this king was wanting to give King David this land. And David said, no, I will not offer unto my God anything that doesn't cost me something. I wonder how many times have we offered God that which cost us nothing. There was no pain There was no price, there was no sacrifice, there was no self-denial, there was no cross. We we offer today to God out of convenience and out of comfort. I mean, in the modern church today, if you have a service that lasts longer than an hour, you're never going to grow a church. I've heard that. To which I say, I don't care. Preach 20 minutes and more people will come. I don't care. Why? 
Because we, we must learn that, it, that, it, that if we're to follow Christ, it's about giving him our time, our treasure, and our talents and offering him something that cost me something. We can sit three hours and watch a football game, but we can't sit in a worship service longer than an hour to worship a living God. There's something wrong with our nation. There's something wrong with the church. And the church today knows little of anything about sacrifice at all. Your tithe and your offer, your tithes should be sacrificial. But he says, not only your tithe, but bring your offerings into the storehouse. An offering is even beyond and above what God rightfully deserves, and that will be pricey. It will be costly. It will be painful. But yet, I still do it. Why? Because he leads me to do that. It's going to be pricey. It's going to be painful to serve because there are times my body doesn't want to get out of bed. And there are people who don't come to worship on Sunday morning because they can't get out of bed. It's my only day to rest. And yet they call themselves Christians because they know nothing about sacrifice. We must understand and recognize and realize that we must give God not just an offering as we present ourselves to him, but we must offer to him a sacrifice. It, it's got it, it's got to be painful, and there are times when following Jesus is painful. You may lose a friend, you may lose a boyfriend, you may not get invited to that party because there's stuff that you won't do. You might lose a job, you might not get a promotion. You might be laughed at in your community. You might be persecuted by by, by our culture. But isn't it worth it? I will buy it from you for a price. Why? Because I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. What has following Christ cost you lately? What has my commitment cost me? What has it? What does it cost you? Are we more about convenience and comfort and ourselves rather than Christ? 